Good morning, everyone. My name is Marissa Stebbs. Um, I'm one of the elders here at Christ City Church, um, and I'm just trying to love Jesus with everything that I have. Um, that's that's my bio um, this morning. Um, so we are in a series in John, but normally I have papers, but I couldn't print this morning. So here we are with our technology um, and a table that shakes. Um, so we're in a series in the gospel according to John that we've called life, death and life again. Um, and this morning we're in John 13 um, and the setting, this setting um, was um, Jesus and the disciples sharing a meal in Jerusalem during Passover. Well, technically, I was supposed to start in verse 21, um, but that verse starts after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. After he said what? <laughs> right? Like, right? So then, like, we backtracked, and then that's how we ended up starting at verse 12 um, um, in this bibliodrama, right after Jesus has finished washing up, um, washing all the disciples' feet. So this passage, John 13, 12 through through 38, at least for me, raises so many questions, right? I made a list, after I read this, I made a list of no less than 30 questions. Um, and if you're anything like me, you want to like golden retriever this thing and run after all these questions like they're nuts, like right, or like they're squirrels. Um, but we don't have time for that this morning. Um, it's a full, it's already been a very full service. It's not Christmas, but it's a full service, right? Um, we're not gonna we're not gonna tackle all the questions, right? And even some of the the questions that we're going to tackle, you may not get satisfactory answers. Um, and so my encouragement to you is that if by the end of this you are still left with questions, go do your own work, right? Go do your own work um, because you have access to dig deep, right? You have access to scripture and to people and to prayer um, and to the Holy Spirit and to time and to curiosity and to patience and to a love of the word and the pursuit of what is true. And if you don't feel like you have access to these things, I'd love to talk to you. And I'm sure that any of the elders or the staff or small group leaders at Christ City would love to talk with you too. So let's jump in. Um, you are not scroll. You are not scrolling. Mm-hmm. There we go. So, so much going on in this, the, in this passage of scripture. And after I'd read it, the first image that came to mind was this. Like, no joke. So if any of you are like privy to uh, the comics, like right, like back in, the, back in the 90s, right? You will know this is a Dagwood sandwich, right? Everything, everything in the fridge goes on this sandwich. There's probably like, a lobster in there, like some peas, like, I mean, like all the, all the things are on this. This is how I felt with this passage of scripture. I was like, how am I going to eat this thing, right? How am I going to eat this thing? Um, and so what does it make, what does it mean to make this passage of scripture a more manageable sandwich to eat, right? And, but rather than thinking about it as like turkey and cheese on rye bread, which is my favorite sandwich, um, we are actually looking at God's glory and the command to love in between two slices of betrayal. Okay, that's the sandwich that we're trying to eat today. Um, and so it's, it's, it, it's, it's gonna be some things. <laughs> it's gonna be some things, okay? So have you ever betrayed anyone? Have you ever betrayed anyone? Right? Have you ever broken faith with someone? Have you ever exposed, sold someone out, failed to protect, defend, 
associate with someone for your own safety, for your own security, for your own advancement, for your own gain. Have you ever done that? So throughout my college career, I was pretty involved in the admission office um, on, our, on our campus. I went to DePaul in Greencastle, Indiana, not to be confused with DePaul University, which is in Chicago. This is in Greencastle, Indiana, 45 minutes outside of Indianapolis. Um, and um, <laughs> and I, I gave tours, right? I called and hosted prospective students. I filled in at the admissions front desk. Um, and even on occasion, like they would send me places one year. They were like, Marissa, go to New York City to interview the posse students. Do you want to do that? Yes, yes, admission office. I want to go to New York City. Thank you so much for sending me. Um, and every year I was supervised by a different staff member. During my, the last semester, of my senior year, I was supervised by he who shall not be named. And um, it, it started amazing and it did not end well. And not just end well for me, this person alienated the entire association of African-American students like the equivalent of the Black Student Union on our campus, right? It was not, it was not a good look, it was not a good time. Um, I did not take it very well. I was not taking this very well. During the same semester, I was in a class called Leadership and Survival, co-taught by, by the retired English chair um, and uh, the president of the university. And what we were doing is we were focusing on analyzing different leadership styles and trying to figure out to what degree different leadership styles in fiction and nonfiction, um, to what degree the leadership style benefited the person who was leading and in what degree did it benefit the people? And to what degree did people have to like invoke survival mechanisms just to sort of stay alive, right? Like that was the class leadership and survival. And for, our for the final paper, we had to choose a person to analyze, analyze their leadership according to the models that we explored up until this point. Mm -hmm. What, Marissa? You exposed he who must not be named for your own gain. Yes, yes I did. I sure did. I used that paper as an opportunity to itemize the feelings of this admissions officer knowing that the president of the university was gonna read this paper. Revenge complete. Paper done, right? Feeling smug and justified, check, check, and check. Thank God for, like really thank God for this English professor who read the paper first and pulled me aside. Thank God that he called the paper mean-spirited and said it was unworthy of who I was. Thank God that he gave me the opportunity to, to and, and direction to, to rewrite it and figure out like what it really meant to do this paper well. And thank God for opportunities to grow up, right? I thank God for those. Have you ever betrayed someone? So we start this passage, Judas is about to betray Jesus. Um, Judas is about to put in motion um, the final events that lead to Jesus's arrest, trial, and execution. By the end of this night, by the end of this night, by the end of this meal, um, or after this meal, Jesus is going to be arrested. Judas Iscariot is probably the most notorious of the disciples, right? Like people who don't, who can't name any of the disciples know that Judas, like, right, betrayed Jesus. Right, called early on with all the others. 
Judas was with Jesus for all the travels, all the meals, all the teachings, all the conversations, all the healings, all the miracles, all the adventures day in, day out for three years. This isn't a nine to five with weekends off. They're constantly in each other's presence. Right? This is close, close relationship and close, close proximity. And not only that, but Judas was also the keeper of the group's money, which means that the group most likely trusted him. Right? I don't trust you at all. Please hold my money, said no one ever, right? Um, so, so people, like, right, like they trust, they trust Judas. They actually do. So here's how the plot to betray Jesus got put in motion. Right before Jesus enters Jerusalem for the Passover, um, he's anointed um, by one of the Marys, one of the many, many Marys um, in, in, in scripture um, at Bethany. And I think we have the verses up. So six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Right after this passage, it says that Judas feels like pour, the pouring out of this perfume on Jesus was a complete waste. He asked, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and used to help himself to what was put into the money bag. This exact same story in John 12 is also told in Mark 14 with the added detail that the people, i.e. Judas, one of being one of the people, were absolutely indignant, like the word, like NIV says, indignant. Indignant about what Mary has done. Indignant meaning feeling or showing anger or annoyance at what is perceived as unfair or unjust. Judas is angry. Jesus is a, Judas is annoyed. at Mary's act of worship of Jesus because of a lost opportunity to pocket some money, right? So Matthew 26 and Mark, um, in Matthew 26, we're, we're in two other gospels. If you read this in Matthew 26, if you read this in Mark 14, immediately afterwards, right? Like this isn't set up necessarily in John, but the gospels talk about it. It says that immediately afterwards, after Mary anointed Jesus, Judas went to the chief priest who'd been looking for an opportunity to seize Jesus. And he asked them, what are you willing to give me if I turn him over to you? What are you willing to give me if I turn him over to you? And the priest counted him out 30 pieces of silver. Now, some people say, oh, this is how much this was worth. This is how much, how much it was worth so that you can get a sense like for yourself. It was worth half a year's wages, right? So instead of doing the exact math, like just like wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you whatever's income is coming in a year, half of what you make in that year, this is what they're counting out for you. And so from then on, Jesus watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. Now this happens less than a week from the from the from the table. 
Now, some scholars say that Judas may have been disillusioned, disappointed that Jesus was not going to become a king and lead Israel from out from out from under Roman oppression and that he merely profited from 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 the betrayal. Right. It wasn't the impetus for the betrayal. It was just it was sort of it was an ad. It was an add on. That's likely. Right. But I also think that it's as likely that Judas's desire to pursue money and Judas's desire for greed um, or Jesus's um, desire for profit and his greed actually was what caused him to be disillusioned in the first place. Like, right. The relationship with money is what caused him to not see Jesus clearly. We need to deal with our relationship with money because we will not see Jesus clearly. And throughout scripture, it's like you can't serve God and serve money. I think that Judas gives us some insight into where that could go. Right. So things are now seen through a money filter. And Judas is going through the motions on the outside of being Jesus's disciple. But at some point in his heart, he broke faith. And I think something about this woman's lavish and unabashed and costly worship of Jesus flipped the switch. And I think that greed was the opening for the enemy to work. So speaking speaking of the enemy. Um, verse 27 says that Satan entered Judas. And I know that we don't talk a lot about demonic oppression or spirit, demonic possession or spiritual oppression. Um, and we actually don't have a lot of time to talk about it um, this morning. But there are some seeds that I want to scatter here for for the for the for the future. OK, one, we need to be clear that spirits are real. OK, there's more than what we see. The spiritual realm is real and the spiritual realm is powerful. The second thing, just as there's a Holy Spirit, there are unholy spirits. Okay, and they're seeking to influence what we do. There is there is a battle going on. There really is a battle going on. Right. Regarding Satan. Um, and evil spirits like right, I feel like people take one or two approaches to Satan, right? Like they either give like Satan and evil spirits like too much attention. And it's like, I'm just going to focus on it all the time or they don't give it enough attention. <laughs> really? No, that doesn't exist. Like, right. And pretend like we can't be affected by these things. The fourth thing, in the same way that we can invite in the Holy Spirit, we can also invite in this in the influence of the enemy. In the same way that we can invite in the Holy Spirit, we can also invite in the influence of the enemy. This is not a comprehensive list, but some ways include unchecked anger. Like unchecked and consistent, not saying that you can't be angry, but continuous anger that never resolves, that's deep seated. That's a door. Unchecked bitterness that never gets resolved. That's a door. Unchecked pride. Unchecked greed, unforgiveness, and disdain for the things of God. Like, right? Like, these are things that give the enemy an opening. 
And the, and the final thing, like, right, after ha having said, you know, all of this, I don't want anyone to be in the space of, like, what do I do? You know, um, <laughs> you know, don't be afraid. That's the first thing. Don't be afraid. Right? And be vigilant. And those are two different things. To not be afraid and to be vigilant are very different. To know that you have nothing to fear and to still pay attention are two different things. Okay? Keep Jesus central in all things. Cultivate your relationship with the Holy Spirit, right? And because of the ways that we can leave openings, deal quickly with your sin. Deal quickly with your sin. And if I would, and, and not only that, but also deal quickly with when you've been sinned against. I didn't add that, but that's important, right? When you've been sinned against, because unforgiveness is a door, all right? So that's just this sort of, parenthetical pause and now we're going to come back. So let's turn for a quick moment to the other piece of bread um, in this sandwich and let's just look for a quick moment um, to Peter. And I'm like Lisa from a couple of weeks ago, right? Like you've got to love Peter and his complete passion for whatever position he's in at the moment, right? Whatever Peter is thinking, whatever Peter is feeling, um, he's all in, right? And in this passage, um, Peter and the disciples are really concerned about who's going to betray Jesus. And of course, it's Peter who presses John, you know, to find out, like, who, Jesus, who, who are you referring to? And of course, it's Peter who, being a little impetuous and all in, says, why can't I follow you? I'm all in. I will lay down my life for you. But Jesus predicts Peter's betrayal. Will you really lay down your life for me? Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And we'll see later on in John, um, which actually happens later on that same night, that Peter, just as Jesus says, um, will deny that he even knows Jesus. So while Judas betrays Jesus over money, Peter will ultimately betray Jesus over the fear, um, a fear of association with him and over the fear of death. And I'd imagine that most of us feel like we're similar to Peter in our betrayals, right? We're not exposing a person to danger by treacherously giving up information that's gonna lead to their death, like, right? Like, we're not doing that, you know? We're not doing that. We're just dropping the ball on our promises, right? We're just doing things like my ill-conceived paper, right? We can be tempted to place more weight on what Judas did than what on Peter did, when in fact, breaking faith with Jesus is breaking faith with Jesus. Right? Breaking faith with Jesus is breaking faith with Jesus. And that every time we break faith, that's the sin that Jesus died for. And in this way, Jesus, Judas, and Jesus, Judas and Peter offer us two sides of the same coin. Judas raises the question, what happens to my relationship with God when he isn't giving me the things I think I need to be happy? That's the question that Judas raises. But the question that Peter raises is what happens to my relationship with God when the possibility of pain and suffering is real? Right? Like these are the questions that these two offer. And I think that we need to examine our hearts in light of these questions. But here's how Judas and Peter are wildly different. Judas ultimately regretted what he did and tried to give back the 30 pieces of silver, but could not get past his remorse. He could not. He did not get past his remorse. He died in remorse. Peter bitterly regretted what he did as well, but he repented and returned to Jesus, and actually, according to tradition, did, did die 
for Jesus, died for his name. And this reminds me of 2 Corinthians 7.10, right? Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leads, leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow brings death. We're all going to disappoint Jesus. We're all going to break faith with him at some point. And when we realize it, I think that we're going to be disappointed in ourselves and how we handle our regret and shame, whether we stay in worldly sorrow that leads to, that leads to death or whether we, 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 we sit with godly sorrow that leads to repentance and to true change and brings life and leaves no regret, that's going to mean all the difference. Now, if we stay here, if we leave it here with Judas and Peter, with Judas and Peter and, aunt, and our own betrayals, right? That's depressing, <laughs> right? Like that's depressing. And not only is it depressing, but I think that we get stuck, right? Because at this point, we're not looking at Jesus. So what if instead of the sandwich being held together by betrayal, what if we let it be held together by the bread? Who is Jesus? What if we let it be held together by the bread, right? So let's, let's maybe ask this question a different way. Not have you betrayed someone, but has someone betrayed you? Has someone betrayed you? What do you do when you're betrayed? What do you do when you even feel like someone might betray you? What do you do when you get like the slightest tint of the vaguest width of the potential of a betrayal like coming your way? Like, right, what do you do? Some of that, I think, depends on the depth and closeness and type of relationship um, that we're talking about. But here's a, here's a quick list, right? You feel the feelings. And, and mind you, some of the things on this list are like things not to do, but that we do anyway. And like, right, and some of the things on this list are things to do. You feel the feelings. You feel the sadness, the anger, the grief, the disappointment, the rejection when you've been betrayed, right? Just to name a few. You avoid, the, you avoid and deny the feelings, I don't care. Life happens. Just got to move on. You distance yourself in the relationship. You distance yourself from everyone. Who can I trust? You work to protect yourself from future hurt. You get revenge. Everything from throwing shade to figure out how to out your nemesis to like full on plots to bring people down. You forgive, but you don't forget. You don't even try to forgive. And you make the person pay again and again and again and again. Right? You cut your losses and you try to move on. You figure out whether you even want to be doing the work of forgiveness in the first place, right? You do the work to repair trust. You seek God to help you forgive and heal the hurt. You stay stuck in feeling victimized and never let anybody forget about how horribly you were treated. And all these potential, is that for me? Like, okay, I was like, I don't know who's that for. Okay, and the potential, I was like, oh my gosh. Um, in all of these potential scenarios, you're probably not asking yourself, how can I serve this person who's going to betray me? And how can I pour into their life because I believe that they'll come to their senses later? We're probably not asking that question. But this is what Jesus is doing with two people that he knows will betray him. In this passage, we see Jesus' astonishing love, astonishing sacrifice, and astonishing mercy. Jesus never fails to take 
never fails to take my breath away and like how he serves us and how he sacrifices for us and how he loves us in the midst of our own, in the midst of his own pain and his own suffering. Jesus knows that Judas will betray him and still washes Judas's feet. What kind of heart to serve does that? Jesus does not treat Judas any differently from the other disciples because none of them knew that Jesus was on his way to betray. They were like, it's going on an errand. It's just right. They're completely at a loss of who could it be? What kind of mercy does that? Jesus quietly answers John's question about um, like John is really the only note. Like John asked Jesus, who, who is it? And really, Jesus just tells John it's the one that I'm giving the bread to. The other disciples don't know. They think that he's going to like give money to the poor. They think that Judas is going to like buy something for Passover. Like that's what the scripture says. And then Judas, and then Jesus just gives the vague, vague, go do it quickly. Not outing the intention, not like, right? Like just not doing what we would do, which is to put someone on blast and the whole event on blast. Right. It's very it's very quiet. It's very undercover. And even though Jesus shares with Peter, like candidly, like this impending denial. Jesus doesn't dismiss Peter from the table. And neither does Jesus get up from the table because he's hurt. Jesus stays there. He stays present. What I love about John's gospel is that it shows Jesus's humanity again and again. Like, right, he's angry with the money changers in the temple. He's sad when he gets the news that Lazarus has died. He's distressed. He's in distress when in troubled when his friends betray him. The words he who shared my bread has turned against me like that's heartbreaking. Jesus feels deeply and expresses his emotion, but is not driven by these emotions. Like, right? Acknowledging and feeling the feelings and yet not being driven by them. I am so emotional and so emotive. Like, I need this word. I just want to let you know that, like, 90% of this scripture, like, it's for me. Like, 90% of this, this, this today is for me, Right? Jesus does not retreat because he's hurting. He does not lash out. He does not blame. He doesn't get passive aggressive, doesn't avoid retreat or try to turn anyone against Judas or Peter. What kind of love is that? What kind of love is that? Jesus shows us what it means to love in the face of our own pain and maybe in the face of our own destruction. Love looks like Jesus taking the position of the house servant and washing Judas's feet along with the feet of the other disciples. Right. Surely there could have been a moment to send Judas away like before he had to wash his feet. Like surely he like surely Jesus could have orchestrated that. I'm not trying to wash the feet of my betrayer. Love looks like Jesus preparing the disciples for his absence, even while he's looking Peter in the eye and knowing that Judas is summoning the chief priest. Love looks like Jesus sharing a final meal and pouring out teaching over the course of a few hours while he's deeply troubled in his spirit. Even in the midst of pers personal pain, Jesus keeps his eyes on what's important. And so 
the last part of this is like, right, like speaking of this teaching, right? Like in the beginning, I was just like, this sandwich in the middle is God's glory and the command to love. And that's what's actually in the middle of this sandwich before Peter like interrupts and says, you know, where are you going? So this whole passage from the foot washing on for a few more chapters that we're going to be um, exploring for weeks of come is part of Jesus's farewell discourse. He's preparing the disciples because he's getting ready to die. He's getting ready to leave. The first thing that he says is now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the son in himself and will glorify him at once. That's a lot of glories. That's a lot of glories and glorifieds, right? What does that even mean? Because we don't use, use this, right? And this is an imperfect, uh, this is an imperfect explanation of this. I'm just gonna put that out there, right? But say you went to a venue and you met someone who's like dressed in jeans and a sweatshirt, like had a hat on, maybe had a cup of coffee. And uh, you all struck up a conversation and you didn't realize, you know, that you were talking to Beyonce because, right, you live under a rock. <laughs> and, um, and it's just like, oh, this is a nice person. You know, like there's no, there's no, there's no anything. They're just normal, right, just talking to you. Got my coffee, I'm just waiting, I'm just looking, right? Y'all chat, oh, she's nice, you know, a little creative, you know? <laughs> right? And then later on that evening, like say you tune in and see Beyonce at Coachella, okay? Like everything, like right? Everything. everything. <laughs> everything like right like all the costumes all the entourage all the people all the like adoration like right all the marching bands like everything that you could possibly imagine and you're like oh my gosh this is who they are right that's what's happening here that's what Jesus is saying here when saying like I'm about to be glorified this is talking about like the self-manifestation, self-revelation of God and Jesus so that we see them as they are. Like, right? And we, because we get familiar with Jesus, right? Like we get so familiar and forget this is the Christ. This is the Christ. This is the son of God. And he is worthy. He is worthy of everything that we have to give. He is worthy and we get familiar with him and he is worthy of power and glory and honor and strength and worship and praise forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Right? And Jesus is saying that when you see, when I'm glorified, God will be glorified. And in God being glorified, like you, you've seen us both, like, right? Like that's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. Seeing the fullness of Jesus. And in seeing the fullness of Jesus, we see the fullness of God. Then he goes on to say, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. 
And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you've loved one another. Now, I can't, I wasn't there. <clears throat> I wasn't there. Jesus said this, so I can't say with 100% certainty that the disciples understood all this in the moment that Jesus said the words, right? I can't, I can't say that they, they got it in that moment, right? Jesus is always reteaching and always reminding the disciples, just as he's always reminding and always reteaching us. But this is how I see Jesus loving the disciples. Like, right? This is how I've seen him love the disciples, calling them, teaching them, encouraging them, telling them the truth, pointing them to the Father, walking with them, eating with them, washing them, serving them, correcting them, feeding them, praying for them, preparing them, not repaying them hurt with hurt, not abandoning them or, or his purpose when they mess up, not throwing in the towel, being patient with them, showing mercy to them, covering their sin, covering their shame, making ways for them to repent and return and laying down his life for them. That's what I see. So when he says, do this for one another, and he says, do this for one another, he doesn't say, expect others to do it for you. Let's be clear. The scripture does not say, live your life with the expectation that this is going to be done for you. It says, do this, do this. And this is how the, the world will know that you're mine. And this reminds me of the love that's found in 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the message version on, on this one. No matter what I say and what I believe, no matter what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others. Love isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, it takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Love puts up with anything. Love trusts God always and always looks for the best. Love never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Last week, David Bailey reminded us that you can't have the blessings of Christ without the sufferings of Christ, right? This is part of Christ's suffering. And Jesus is showing us the power of God to love in the midst of our suffering. What does it look like to feel what we feel and yet move forward in the light of God's glory and God's grace and do the hard work to love one another, even when we've been hurt by other people and by life? There are many, many, many times when this seems impossible, but praise Jesus that he specializes in the impossible and hasn't left us without help. Praise Jesus. So I invite you, um, we're going to, we're going to close with a, we're going to close with a song by um, John Thurlow, who's part of IHOP, which is International House of Prayer, not International House of Pancakes. Um, now, I'm not, and I'm not 100, but just want to say, like, as a caveat, I'm not 100% down with IHOP's teachings, but I love John Thurlow's music, okay? I just want to say that. Um, 
And this song is called Shepherd of My Soul. And why, like, while we're listening, like, right, bring, if you have hurt, like, right, like, if there's anything from this, if there's anything from this, like, whether, like, you've been reminded, I, I've, I've, I've betrayed someone, Jesus, I've betrayed you, whether there are moments where you're feeling like, like you're still struggling because someone has betrayed you, if you feel it's hard for you to like live out like this command to like love one another, if you feel like you're not seeing Jesus in all of who he is, if there are any of these things, any of these things at all, like this is this song is going to be the opening set of our worship. Um, I encourage you to like to seek prayer if you need it. Like right, like there's a carpet here. Come press your knees in if you need to do that too. Um, but bring your hurt. Bring your regret, right, to Jesus and let him deal with, with them through the cross and let him give you the very life that he lived.